0: Hello,
1: this is Deborah Anderson, the Black Woman Animator, coming back to you to another video. And in this video, I have Jenga Mwendo. Welcome to my platform.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Can you give a quick introduction of yourself?
0: Sure. Yes, I am uh, Jenga Mwendo. I uh, worked as a modeler at Blue Sky Studios uh, for about seven years. Um, it's been a while since I've touched any, um, touch Maya or any, you know, computer animation software. Um, but I really enjoyed my time there and, you know, very happy to talk about it in the industry.
1: Nice. So my first question is, where
0: are you from
1: and how was it growing up?
0: <laughs> so I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, which is where I live now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, grow, I grew up in the 80s, 80s and, uh, you know, early 90s. And uh, that was right when you know computer animation was first like starting to pop off so I remember growing up like when I was trying to figure out what I was gonna do after high school like I knew that I wanted to do something that was interesting you know and that was um uh you know I just felt like this was like this new innovative field and mm-hmm. I was fascinated with it um and also I wanted to make money I didn't want to be broke to be honest and that was one of the reasons <laughs> why I chose um This career, I used to watch this show called um movie magic. Nice. Mm
2: -hmm. That used
0: to come on. Uh it was a weekly show that came on, I think the Discovery Channel or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it would break down like how movies were made. Um, and you know, some of the episodes would, you know, include like computer animation effects mm-hmm. and I was so fascinated. I was like, how do you make, you know, it, this doesn't exist in reality, but yet we're creating it for movies. So I, I just yeah. wanted to be a part of that. And so that's why I started to, um, you know, pursue the the field, the computer animation uh, industry.
1: So um, what about what some other stuff you did growing up? Like, how was it just being from New Orleans?
0: Oh, like just regular life stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, it was cool. I um, so I grew up. Uh, my 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 family or my, my parents and in, uh, in their peers. So I grew up in the in the 80s. Um, you know, my parents were a very um were part of the Black Liberation Movement. Um, my parents raised us in a very like an Afrocentric uh, household, part of the Afrocentric community in New Orleans. They they and their peers started an African centered school here in New Orleans called Ahidiana. Um, mm-hmm. that I attended along with like a lot of my cousins and you know and, and other peers. Um so I think we had a very unique kind of you know New Orleans uh experience. Um my name Jenga is a Swahili word that means to build. Um mm-hmm. so it's kind of uh interesting that I ended up becoming a modeler. Yeah. <laughs> a builder, <laughs> a digital builder. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh yeah so we had you know just a very kind of unique um I think growing up, experience uh, there was a, a really strong but small, you know, African like Af- Afrocentric community, you know, here in New Orleans. Um, so I remember, you know, just going to a lot of uh, different like types of community events, especially like around Kwanzaa. Mm-hmm. Um, these big like you know community events um, at the Tremé Center, mostly. Um, you know, in New Orleans, Community Book Center was a place that we would you know go a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it was great. I lived between the Lower Ninth Ward and, and New Orleans East. We kind of, you know, went back and forth mm-hmm. um, and then, uh, you know, graduated high school. I went to McMain and to mm-hmm. NOCA, New Orleans Center for the Creative Arts for Visual Art and uh, graduated in 1995 and, and left. And I actually didn't intend, you know, to come back uh, to New Orleans. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, ultimately, ultimately I returned.
1: So what was your journey in art and animation during your childhood? Did you draw a lot? Like, what was your journey?
0: Yeah, I was always drawing. I remember when I was very little, like, um, one of the first, when I really started getting into um, a lot of drawing, I would draw mermaids a lot. Mm -hmm. Two things I remember, like, when I got older, I looked back at some of the things I, I drew when I was a kid, and I was like, I was obsessed with mermaids. And I was obsessed with, um, like, large families living in small spaces. So I would draw, like, these tiny, you know, I would I'd draw, like, these floor plans and, like, these houses and just figure out ways to fit people <laughs> in them. Like, I would draw, like, a family of, like, nine people and mm-hmm. fit them into, like, this tiny, like, two- or three-room house. I don't know if that was some, like, psychological stuff that I was working out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But that's what I would do. I would draw like these really large families and mm-hmm. uh, I would give them all names and where they would sleep and who, you know, I I don't know. But, I, yeah, I was always drawing. My brother and I uh, had this comic strip. We called it. Um, it was Fat Daddy and Greasy Jean. <laughs> <laughs> and we would draw like it was like, um, you know, all, of course, they would always, you know, every every episode, you know, they would get into some, you know, some trouble and then, you know, solve a problem or whatever. But we really enjoyed doing that together. Um, Yeah, so I was always drawing. And then my mom was always very supportive of that. Like she was really good with identifying what each of us was really interested in. Mm -hmm. Just trying to encourage and support us to do that. So she's actually the one who convinced me to apply to NOCA, to the New Orleans Center for the Creative Arts. I didn't think I was good enough. But she was like "Benga, just do it you know try let she would always tell me let them tell you no you know basically Mm -hmm. don't tell yourself no let them you know let them tell you no so i applied um and they actually put me in level two which was so there's four like four levels you know level Mm -hmm. one level two level three level four so when you first apply like the ground level is level one when i applied they put me in level two and i was surprised i was like i I guess i am good at something (laughs) you know so, um, yeah, so I, I started, um, you know, going to NOCA from, from there. And that was a really um, just a wonderful experience because you're it's like you're surrounded by all these other talented kids who are your age. So they yeah. had not not only the visual artists, but also, you know, creative writing, mm-hmm. music, of course, like a lot of famous musicians have come out of NOCA, like, you know, Witten Marcellus, Harry Connick Jr., Jason Marcellus. Um, probably a lot of, Irvin Mayfield, you know, a lot of people have come out of NOCA. Um, And then also uh, they had theater, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think what else they had, but it was just really nice, you know, just to be surrounded by all these other people with, uh, you know, with their talent that they were pursuing. So that was a really good environment and it helped kind of encourage me to see art, you know, something related to art as a future career.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: And uh, so, yeah, so I felt confident in pursuing it and also just having the support of my mother, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: So uh, when you went to NOCA, was it still like a part-time school or had they transitioned into the full?
0: Yeah, at that time, um, NOCA, you only went half day Mm
2: -hmm.
0: for your art. So you went to your primary school, you know, half the day and you did all your academics. And then the other part of the day, you would go, you know, to NOCA and do all your art training and um, that was right before I think in like the late 90s maybe was when it sort of expanded to the new campus mm-hmm. so we were at the old campus the old campus was uptown on Perrier street okay in, in this like busted building <laughs> it was like it was like old and falling apart um and it was such like I remember the dancers so the art so you will go in the building you walk up the stairs and that was like the first floor and all the arts kids, you know, were on that floor. And I think there was some creative writing on that floor. And then for some reason, they thought it was a good idea to put the dancers on top of us, you know? So we, we would be in our class and we would hear like this bumping, you know, this thumping on the on the ceiling because that was the dancers. They were dancing above us. Um, But yeah, it was just, I think they just found, um, you know, a large building to yeah. you know, house a school. And then, um, you know, once the state, uh I won't say took control, but there was an agreement, I think, to expand NOCA into a state school. Mm-hmm. The state funding, they were able to find a new campus and build like this really uh, amazing kind of, you know, state-of-the-art campus right on on the river. Um, but I didn't go there. <laughs> I, I went to the school on Perrier Street, um, which was a great experience still. And my daughter actually now goes to NOCA
1: nice well
0: art which is really interesting and they've, they've expanded now too now they have culinary arts there they mm-hmm. have media arts um they have i think theater like production you know if you're interested That's in building sets and stuff like that so yeah it's a great place a lot of resources for young people
1: i tried to get something 3d started there i just taught like a little three-part class there, and that was kind of like a one-and-done. I was like, okay. (laughs)
0: It's so interesting. Like, when I first moved back, so after Katrina, um, I decided to quit my, or when Katrina hit, that was sort of my, you know, cut. I was like, I'm done with computer animation. I'm going to go back home, Mm -hmm. you know, figure out what I'm doing, you know, what my purpose is or what I'm doing with my life. But I thought I would try to make some money using skills that I already had, and I was really surprised at what seem like a lack of interest,
2: mm-hmm. in,
0: you know, in computer animation. I'm like, for me, I'm like, these kids, like, so computer animation was a really low barrier or, you know, there's a low bar to entry because you don't have to have a degree. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. all you have to do is have skills, you know, you have to have a good reel and probably some good connections. And so I was like, I really wanted. Be, you know, figure out a way to teach kids. I, I did reach out to NOCA mm-hmm. and they were kind of like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> that's <laughs> kind of what I felt the response was. They're like, oh, that's so cute that you, you know, that you worked in computer animation. That's nice. It seemed like they didn't really want, you know, and then I will reach out to this other school um, on, on the West Bank, Algiers Technical mm-hmm. High School, I think yeah. called something like that. Yeah, they had, they had all the equipment. You know, they had like the state-of-the-art computer lab um, with uh, graphic software. Um, and I'm like, we could do so much together, you know, but they, it just... Yeah, they just, they I, just I,
1: I, at AKA, and then I think um, some lady at Warren Easton had contacted me for some, but that didn't go anywhere either. I don't know, traditional education and animation is just like, does not work. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But even I when you do know. it, it's like, it's, it's annoying because they try to do all these like certifications. And as you said, you just need a good portfolio. What is these certifications? Cause I took the Maya certification test in 2012. I took the 2012 one in 2013. I'm like, this don't mean nothing. Like <laughs> you, <pass> it, <laughs> and you still ain't good at 3D. Like. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah but, it's nuts. And in, in, in Algiers, like they had uh, this guy, actually the, the way that I, got I ended up like getting connected with them was because a guy who's a there was a guy who was a friend of mine who was actually teaching Maya there but didn't know my like he was he was <laughs> learning it to teach it mm-hmm. all the way and I was like what are y'all doing but they allowed him to do that because he had some teaching certification which mm-hmm. I didn't have so like suddenly I'm not qualified. Yeah, that's a big thing, too. Working in this industry for seven years, so how, you know, that was ridiculous. And I thought it was really a missed opportunity because, you know, you could really, uh, again, it's such such a low bar. Like, all you need is to be able to have access mm-hmm. to this, you know, the software, which they did, yeah, and somebody to kind of guide you, and you really could you know, that you can get into this industry. You don't have to have, you know, a, a degree. You don't have to have, you know, all you have to have is a skill and connections.
1: Yeah. Luckily, there was an organization called Young Creative uh, Agency that I got to work with a couple times that had I taught them, I think, Maya. And then um, when I worked in Baton Rouge, um, one of my coworkers workers uh, is a first lady at a um, Bethel AME. Is mm-hmm. that right? And um, they had computers and I did a workshop for them. But
2: other than that, it's just
1: like, I for making my own way in New Orleans before I moved, I was like, well, I, I should go for profit because <laughs> going through the education system is not
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, it's so like, uh, it seems unnecessarily prohibitive.
1: Yeah. So how was your experience going to SBA? Did, did you have like culture shock moving from New Orleans to New York City?
2: Yes.
0: <laughs> the short answer is yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I moved to, um, so again, I graduated high school in 1995, and so mm-hmm. and I was really young also, like I graduated when I was 16, Oh and wow. was 17 in July, and then that September, I was gone, like I, I left. And I, my first year was actually at the School of Visual Arts in Savannah. And I chose mm-hmm. that because it was cheaper. And mm-hmm. I felt like, okay, well, I'll go there first and figure out a way to get to New York. Because ultimately I wanted to go to New York. And so I, fe- I spent my first year, and I think that was kind of a good kind of segue, like mm-hmm. being able to like leave home and, you know, be independent, you know, for yeah. that first year, my freshman year before you know moving to new york um and so i moved to new york my sophomore year um and yes it was definitely <laughs> definitely a culture shock but i think i was young enough to adapt mm-hmm. so in a lot of ways i feel like i grew up or at least i grew into adulthood yeah. in new york. so I, I always say like i was born and raised in new orleans but in a lot of ways i grew up in new york mm-hmm. um, <laughs> because i was so young that like all of my kind of not formative, but the ways that I grew into adulthood were shaped mm-hmm. by my experience, um, you know, in New York, and uh, just, but definitely, a, <laughs> definitely a shock. Um, I remember just if, just the surroundings, you know, mm-hmm. the physical environment of New York, yeah, skyscrapers you know, everywhere, and people everywhere, and um, you know, just the combining of residential and commercial areas Mm -hmm. was unfamiliar to me and um you know just that constant constant movement you know people in the streets on mass at all times of the day and night you know it's just a very very fast paced, very busy um and also just different in terms of um i think because of that environment of living in a crowded city Mm um i think there's I don't know. I, they, I don't know how to describe it. Like people say New Yorkers are mean, but I don't think New Yorkers are mean. I think they live in a city with a you know millions of other people. You don't have time to talk to everybody. You don't have time. You're not going to say how you doing, to everybody that you you know that you pass on the street, and you're also not going to. I think there's just a certain distance that yeah. you um, because you can't keep a physical distance, you know. But there's so there's a certain like I guess um, you know there's just a distance. Yeah. So I remember when I first moved there, um, our dorms were on uh, 23rd in in Lexington. And I was walking back to the dorm from a bank or from somewhere I I was going and I was coming, maybe from class, I don't know. And there was a man just like sprawled out on the sidewalk in the middle. And people were stepping over him to walk, you know, and just like, or walking around him. I was like, what is going on? Like, is he dead? Does he need help? You know, it's like, nobody seems to care. So I was like, what, you know, where am I? What is this? And so I went back to the dorm and I told the, the guy, there was a, like a doorman, you know, who was, you know, he was there. There was somebody who was there 24 seven. It kind of operated like a hotel. It used to be a hotel that the dorms. Oh. Were mm-hmm. And so I told him, I was like, there's a man. <laughs> There's a man just laid out on the sidewalk outside and he was like oh okay <laughs> are we gonna do something He was like what do you want to call the police like what do you want to do like what do you want to do like, do do? like <laughs> nothing obviously I there's no urgency you know so that stuff like that i think yeah. definitely a shock i remember my, my first time catching the train was scary like mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know. How do you know what stop you're supposed to get off at? Like, what if you miss it? You know, what if everybody seems to know what's going on except for me? You know, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to seem like a naive, you know, ignorant person because I didn't want to get taken advantage of. So I was always like, you know, just keep, kept my poker face no matter what was going on, you know. But, uh, yeah, it was just, it, it was... um. Definitely different, um, but I think did I, think I did explored New York City, the different parts, or was it too yeah. just too big? <laughs> Ultimately, I did. I think I did through um, like through school um, and through um, you know just meeting other people. And I had a cousin who had moved there before mm-hmm. I did, which was really good. And she lived in Brooklyn, um, and it took me a while to like get up the courage to make my way <laughs> to Brooklyn by myself, you know. But by the time, I I mean, when I finally did, um, that was wonderful. It was just, um, because she was really part of like the Black artist scene, you know, Mm -hmm. in in Brooklyn. Um, So she introduced me like to her friend. I became part of her friend group, Mm -hmm. like her community, um, which was really beautiful. So I got involved, uh, me and her and a few of our other, you know, friends in that community, started an organization called Red Clay Arts. Okay. Which was based in Brooklyn, and we were put on gallery um, shows. I actually curated my first, um, you know, arts exhibition as a part of that. I did um, a multimedia um, exhibition that was all about catcalling, which is something that is, at that time at least, I don't know if it is now, but it was.
1: Yeah, they did a little special on it like a year or two ago. <laughs> Say it again? they did a special on that a year ago so yeah
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that was something i mean definitely living in um in new york because everybody is pedestrian for the most part so you're always on the street
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and um you know men just feel like they could tell you whatever you know they want to tell you so i did like this whole kind of multimedia exhibition about that um as a part of red clay um we would do all kinds of things it, it was it, it was just a really wonderful time really wonderful time
1: so um through kind of coming into adulthood in new york city when you came back to new orleans like what do you think set you apart from someone who maybe stayed in new orleans like what yeah what i experienced
0: experience coming back Also, <laughs> <laughs> i was like this is different <laughs> because I grew up, you know, in New York, you know, Mm -hmm. I I was so, so young when I moved up there. So, and I, I lived there from what, 18 to 20, 28, 20. Yeah. I think I was around 28 or 29, you know, when I moved back home. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's like, wow, there were so many things that were familiar, like coming back home to live was really nice because it felt like, um, There were so many things that were familiar and so many people who knew me and who knew my family. Mm -hmm. um, It was very comfortable, you know, Mm -hmm. to come back. Um, But at the same time, things don't operate here like they do, you know, in New York. Um, I think there's a sense of like efficiency and urgency around business, you know, particularly um, that's in New York, that's really not necessarily here. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that um, it's, you know, better or worse. It's just, right. it's different, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that was a struggle. I think um, public transportation. Yeah. Very, very
1: different. <laughs> I tell people when I lived in South Korea, I could get all around the country, but I couldn't figure out how to take a bus from Jefferson, Paris, to Oregon <laughs> Paris. <laughs> I
0: was like, ah. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's not, so when I came back, I was like, okay, I know, you know, we don't have, I knew we didn't have an efficient public transportation system, but I was like, mm, I'll figure out, figure it out. I'll get around. I don't need to buy a car. Yeah. And incorrect. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so ultimately I ended up, um, at first I tried to get around on the bus and on my bike, and mm-hmm. at the time, like, when I moved back home, my daughter was, was three. or She made three when we when moved here. Mm-hmm. She was young, and I had, like, a little, um, like, a trailer on the back of my bike, and I would ride around with her, you know, everywhere like that. And um, that just, that's hard. Like, that's a hard life. So yeah. um, I ended up getting the scooter. I was like, okay, that'll be my kind of um, the next step because I didn't want to get, A car. I didn't want to produce, um, you know, emissions unnecessarily. I wanted to, you know, have a simpler kind of life. So I said, okay, I'll get a scooter, and so we did that for a while. Um, And then that also became just uh, not practical. And uh, then I got a a car after. So now I I have an electric car, which is Mm -hmm. I feel good about that, you know. (laughs) But yeah,
1: you said um your daughter made three and like just the different ways that people from new orleans talk i remember my uh, so my one of my cousins um went to grambling so he's familiar with like how people from louisiana talk and i remember he they came to visit and we were at dinner and i was like oh do you want to get to dinner for this time and he's like it's not for, it's at (laughs) i'm like i'm sorry this is how people talk here
0: and i (laughs) waited like like, i didn't I don't like, think are we the only people who say that? Who say, I'm going to be four for three or four know. weeks?
1: But I know, May, like, my daughter made three. is definitely a New Orleans yeah, last that,
2: year. I know. Yeah, that's and I,
1: I, like, great. I've figured, making groceries. Yeah, I never, I was just like, I can't
2: just start saying that. I'm just,
1: <laughs> I'm going to grocery shopping for the
0: rest of my yeah. life. And, you know, my mother says, like, uh, you know, save the dishes. Save, that means put them away, you know. Oh, wow, I, I never Lived there for twelve years and never heard that. One. Yeah, that also might be a generational thing because I don't hear yeah. like a lot of people in my generation saying that. But my mother would say, "Save the dishes." That, that I heard is- about
1: I heard about zinc, but I never heard it in real life until <laughs> I met an older person in Baton Rouge. Like they yeah. um, worked in um, on our floor and we shared the lunch area, and that's the first time I heard zinc in real life. I had only theoretically heard about it. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, zinc. Orange, you know, Earl, like that's yeah.
1: Yeah, because I lived in New Orleans a little bit when I was here, so when I came back, I was like, it's Aura, Earl, Turlet.
0: Yes. <laughs> Urnge. It's so funny because it's all the all the OI stuff is er, but it's like the O R. That's the other so my grandmother, for instance, she she says happy Birthday. day. Mm. It's not birthday, it's boy, you know, it's it's like it's, it's the other way around, you know. So it's Charlotte, yeah. boy. Mm-hmm. All
1: right, you know. Um, um, so like in the past, I don't know if it's still happening, but in the past, um, you know, five years, there's been this like trek of people from Brooklyn to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. from experiencing Brooklyn, do you understand why? Because for, for me, I, I've never lived in New York City. I just went to school with a bunch of New York City people when I went to upstate New York um, for college. But it seems like New York City is so fast. Like, why do people want to move to New Orleans?
0: Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't even know if I understand the Brooklyn-New Orleans connection, but it definitely is there,
2: mm-hmm. you know?
0: And I think that a lot of Black folks in the north, are generally looking at the south more now,
2: yeah.
0: Um, and uh, so, so not only New Orleans, but also like Atlanta, but I think they're looking at like major cities, you know, in, like in Dallas, and and Orleans, Atlanta, yeah, Dallas, you know, Houston, places like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it is specifically <laughs> about Brooklyn and, and New Orleans, but I yeah. definitely have met like several people who are from New Orleans who live in Brooklyn, and then mm-hmm. you know, Vice versa. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why.
1: So with your classes at SBA, like, what kind of, what were all the classes you took? And was it a
0: good experience? Oh, my major, so at SBA I majored in computer art. Mm-hmm. And, um, at that time was a very new major. Okay. So um, in a lot of ways I think I um, I think they hadn't figured out at that time exactly what um you know what students would need mm-hmm. um, and so it was very i mean obviously very technology focused yes. but i think it might have been too technology focused mm-hmm. so I think, like it's more important for you to understand that software is a tool yeah versus software is all there is you know so yeah we would take, you know, Photoshop classes or like, you know, intro to Maya classes. So where we would learn how to use the tool Mm
2: -hmm. but not
0: necessarily what to do with it, you know? (laughs) So like going through, um, I don't know, I just felt like it was more um, technical, more, you know, more technically focused than, um, than skill building. Mm-hmm. So I learned. Um, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think they could have done. I think could have done a better job of that. But I think the value of going to that school, um, and we did take foundational classes. So I did have to take the traditional, you know, drawing, painting. I had to, you know, take all of those classes, which I think was was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the real value <clears throat> was um, the name of the school and the connections, you know, that I made there. Mm-hmm. Um, so because it was a, you know, a well-known school and because they were able to bring in um, uh, faculty who were working in the industry, that okay. was really my first entrance into the industry. So, for instance, my um, I had several teachers who worked at Blue Sky okay. and then also um, my mentor, my uh, my thesis advisor, Danny Williams,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, just really, um, he worked at Blue Sky and um, and was really helpful and supportive and so like you know he's probably the reason that i started working at blue sky um and so that was really the value i think you know
1: so what was pretty into your career was it was it just you graduated and then you had connections and you got a job or what was it
0: i think i started um so when i graduated i i think i started working at nick digital first mm-hmm. I, i don't think i was in school when i was working at nick digital um, i think my first job out of school was nick digital and mm-hmm. that was nickelodeon's like digital arm that's where they would do like a lot of after effects stuff okay. they didn't really 3d but it was mostly like after effects um uh like promote ads and you know uh little you know short little segments they would do um, so I was a PA there, which uh, mostly involved um, recording. So after the after the the After Effects artists would finish whatever their segment was, they had to render it and um, you know put it on on tape. At that time, they were still using um, like beta tapes. You know, mm-hmm. um, most of my job really was to make sure that that happened. <laughs> it was like. So sometimes that involved like staying after work after everybody had left, like the after effects artists might have finished their piece, you know, at the end of the birthday. So I had to stay there, um, you know, and make sure that the thing got to tape, you know, yeah. however long, you know, that took. Um, and just doing other things, you know, around yeah. this. Um, that was my first job experience. So there's a lot of things that I didn't understand. Um, and I remember <laughs> once the guy who ran the department. He, he told me, um, like, there was a computer, i never forget this, because it pissed me off so much, but I, I didn't understand how things worked, and I also was a very literal person, and still to this day, it's like, please speak to me in the words that you really mean, like, I can't, you know, I can't figure out the riddles or whatever, yeah. I can't, you know, just tell me what you want, so mm-hmm. he told me, he was like, oh, there was a an old computer in his office he said oh you know we're gonna need to you know to box this computer up and and send it off so i thought he meant we you know (laughs) i didn't think that i was supposed to do that by myself so i'm waiting for him and also i didn't feel like that was my job as well you know but um i'm waiting for him to engage me to do it so eventually he got irritated that i wasn't boxing up this computer and i was like i thought we (laughs) so we were going to do it so that was funny i didn't it was really my first work experience i was like i was what like 20 i think when i graduated 2021 Mm -hmm. i didn't know anything but that was good you know they were really patient with me yeah then i you know i kept in touch with danny i kept in touch with the folks that i knew at blue sky and i was just really persistent about like you know can i take a tour can i come up and visit can i meet some other people you know Mm -hmm. here's my resume here's my reel um, and then I, so I eventually, they told me there was an opening for a production assistant at Blue Sky in the modeling department. And so I, you know, applied for that. And then I, um, so then I started working there. Um, and that was great. That was like a dream come true. That was like, this is all I ever want to do, you right? Know? and I get to do it, you know? So that was really great. And so from being a production assistant, um, I started just making sure that I was, Um, you know, showing people that I could make models, that I could do it. Um, So then they started giving me like, just, you know, little projects to do. Like I remember for Ice Age, (laughs) I started making the rocks. I would build the rocks, you know, that were in the environment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, then they eventually just started giving me more, uh, you know, things and then promoted me to modeler. And so there, yeah, that's kind of how that went.
1: So did you only work on Ice Age and robots, or?
0: So I worked on Ice Age one, two, and three. Okay. I worked on robots and I worked on Horton Years a Who. Horton Years a Who was sort of like my, um, what do you call it? What's that word? Is it denouement or whatever yeah. like. A, I was actually
1: thinking that, but I was like, is that what she's trying to say? Oh yeah,
0: yeah I think I think that's the word. So that was sort of like the peak of my career. Um, I actually was able to, because at that time I finally gotten into character modeling. Okay. And so I was, um, I built the model for the kangaroo, like the kangaroo mom, and then the the joey, the little baby, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I also did the uh, the mayor's secretary. Nice. I made the model for her. And do anybody else? I th- maybe I did another like minor character. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was really proud of that because I had spent a long time, like, I was doing mostly environmental models prior to that. And so it was really, um, it felt really good, you know, that they had confidence enough in me, you know, to, you know, to let me do some character models. And so I learned a lot about like, you know, how to build the model, especially like around the eyes and the mouth, because you you have to build it to make sure that it can be animated and that when, you know, when it's, when, when the riggers get a hold of it, they can um, I don't even know the language anymore, but
1: <laughs> uh, they can build <laughs> they it. <had> keep <laughs> in mind the edge flow and stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't look crazy, you know, when yeah. the mouth opens and closes, when the eyes open and close and all of that mm-hmm. stuff, like around armpits and, you know, things yeah. like you just have to make sure everything is built properly. So, um, that was a really great experience.
1: Nice. Um, so what do you think drew you to the 3D modeling specifically?
0: um you know what i don't even know i i don't you know i'm I'm trying to remember like was it danny was it danny specifically or was it like um i don't know i don't know i can't i i can't think of like that moment when i was like i want to be a modeler right i i i don't remember i mean (laughs) it was so long ago um but i do i know that i liked modeling um, more because I felt like I could take more time. It felt like being a sculptor, you know, I could mm-hmm. really take more time and, like, really, like, develop what this character looks like. Um, I just enjoyed that more. Um, animation just seemed so tedious. Yeah. Um, it just, I didn't want to do that, <laughs> you know? So, yeah,
1: I-, I always say, like, all animation... It's tedious. It's like, what tediousness do you want to deal with? And I love the tediousness of 3D ma- modeling and like pulling and pushing vertices. Yeah,
0: I could pull and push points all day, but I didn't want to, I don't know, something about I just didn't want to be an
1: mm-hmm. animator. Yeah. yeah, I just could never push the character enough. It's like every time I finished an assignment, I was like, ah, I could have did more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so... Can you talk about um, the backyard gardeners networking, like your various initiatives?
0: Okay, yeah, we can talk about that too. So when I moved back to New Orleans, um, after Katrina, mm-hmm. I was looking for ways to be of service, or of I wanted to be able to um, be a, a contribution to my community, to the Lower Ninth Ward. Mm-hmm. I bought a house in. New Orleans, um, a month before Katrina hit, mm-hmm. I wanted to. Um, it was going to be an investment property, and I thought eventually, you know, I would I would move back home, but I didn't mm-hmm. know when. And then Katrina hit, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I have to go home. Mm-hmm. So um, when I got back, I started working on my house because I knew one thing I wanted to. do. I spent so long um, just working in this virtual digital space. I, I wanted to do something real. Like I mm-hmm. wanted to know that I could build things with my hands, for instance, you know, or I could like grow my own food or like, you know, I could do things, real things, you know, for yes. myself. And so I started working on my house and kind of looking for what I could do in my community, started going to community meetings and, you know, things like that. And then yeah. um, kind of looked at community gardening as a way to, um like revitalize, like visually revitalize the area, you know, make spaces more useful, excuse me, again, um, build on like this idea of um, Mm self-reliance, build on the cultural heritage of, you know, the Lower Ninth War. There's so many um, Black folks who moved into the Lower Nine and um, basically became homesteaders, like if you, if you think about it, like in my grandparents' um, generation or maybe my great-grandparents' generation moved to the lower nine and built their own houses from the ground up and then kept mm-hmm. like chickens and pigs and, you know, had things growing in the backyard. Um, my uncle told me when I was doing, uh, I did like this oral history project with, uh, or I led this oral history project with some of the young people who were working with us um,
2: mm-hmm. at the time.
0: Where we interviewed, um, you know, Lower Nine natives about what it was like growing up and like their connection with growing, with growing food. And uh, I remember my uncle was one of the people that we um, interviewed, and he said that when they were kids, they they didn't go to the candy store. You know, there was fruit everywhere. They mm-hmm. would like to get blackberries off the blackberry vines, or you know, whatever figs, you know, whatever else was growing around, and just run go around the neighborhood and eat that. Mm-hmm. And so um that was really um that to me is like part of a um a rich cultural history that is a resource and uh, you know after katrina there was so much um so much lack um or this you know and and it's easy to you kind of victimize people mm-hmm. or see people as victims um and in the lower nine like we did the community did need a lot of help need a lot of support but they weren't helpless you know like we did have um you know resources and I think culture is a a strong resource
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, and so I wanted to do something that could like bring people together around something that we're familiar with yeah Uh, and then also highlight this really strong cultural resource um that is uh that's also about self-reliance, and so which ties into you know what do you do after a, a disaster hits? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's better if you do have you know things that you can you can. Uh, it's better if you're more self-reliant, you know, if you have things yeah. that you can you can rebuild after a disaster strikes, and you can feed yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's why I started. So I started backyard gardens that work around that idea and mm-hmm. uh, officially in. 2009 and we have two community gardens now um that uh, one of them ha- has operated as an open air community center we would do all kinds of like events um and workshops and activities for all ages for children adults and seniors we ran a youth internship program mm-hmm. out of it. it was paid you know for kids between ages of 14 and 19 we did a food as medicine workshop series it's all about health and nutrition here's mm-hmm. to- adults and seniors, they would actually cook at the garden, uh, which was, you know, really amazing. Um, Then we'd have a kids club that would happen on Saturdays where kids could come to the garden and do like gardening activities and art Mm -hmm. and cooking and um, sometimes like environmental awareness activities. Um, So we really had a lot going on, Um, more than we, (laughs) more than we could handle. (laughs) Uh Ultimately that wasn't sustainable, but I think we had a good run so, Backyard Gardeners Network is still around now, but we um, just manage the two community gardens, and uh, there's—I think maybe there about 13 gardeners total. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, which is really, is really good.
1: Yeah, I feel like you know, during my time as president of the Herbally Young Professionals, it would have been cool to like know about your organization and team up. I was all about collaboration, mm-hmm. but there's just so much, so many things going on on in New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what made you decide to get a master's of sustainable real estate development?
0: So, um, I decided to go back to school in 2015. I think it was, I think I went back in 2015, graduated in 2016. It was an 18 month program. Mm -hmm. Um, I was at a point in my life where, um, I was kind of questioning my life decisions, you know? (laughs) I, uh, you know, quit this really well-paying job, um, you know, in New York um, and moved back to New Orleans without a plan, you know, of what I was going to do mm-hmm. and kind of, um, you know, found essentially a passion project, um, which was Backyard Gardeners Network and really put like a thousand percent of my energy and efforts into that, into building that. Um, but I really didn't know, you know, uh, what it took to successfully run a nonprofit organization, yeah. um, and uh, we did a lot, and and so we did a lot of great programming, um, but uh, you know ultimately, I I was not successful in bringing in the amount of money and yeah. mm-hmm. creating of uh, like a really solid organizational structure, um, you know, to to keep growing and to keep the organization going in, in in the direction where it could be sustainable and yeah. where it could pay me a, a a salary that I could live on and pay other people, you know. So I was questioning like what what am I doing? Like mm-hmm. this is not, you know, I can't, I need to pay my bills. You know, I have a daughter, you know, like this is this is not healthy. I can't, you know, I can't continue um, you know, living like this. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I wanted my work, um, you know, to mean something. You know, to mean something. Uh, you know, to me and to, um, you know, to have an impact on my community. And um, years, I maybe mean, I think in 2014, I was working with the Center of Sustainable Engagement and Development, which is a nonprofit in the Lower Ninth Ward that focuses on environmental issues mm-hmm. um, around um, looking at food access. Mm-hmm. Lower Ninth Ward. The Lower Ninth Ward is a neighborhood that um, lacks a number of amenities, but most importantly, doesn't have a grocery store. So mm-hmm. we don't have proper, mm-hmm. proper food access. Um, and at the time, you know, the closest grocery store was a Walmart in St. Bernard Parish, which is, um, could like you were mentioning earlier about the public transportation system, yeah. you know, if you were trying to use public transportation to get from where we live in Orleans Parish to St. Sure. Bernard Parish, that's, you know, that's going to be challenging. And so um, we were looking at, um, you know, why the neighborhood doesn't have uh, proper food access and what are alternatives, what are things that we could do about it? And so that really started piquing my interest in um development. Because I wanted to understand how real estate development works. Like how, why, why do these developers and grocery store operators keep saying the numbers don't work? You right. Know, what are the numbers? You know, what what do, they, what do they mean? What do they need to be in order for, you know, a project like this to work? Um, and I saw it also as kind of a continuation of essentially land work because with yeah. that Carters network, that's about, you know, unlocking the value of, yeah. of land and using it, you know, making it something that's beneficial to the, you know, the larger community. So I feel like this, you know, real estate development work is the same thing, looking at what what is the value of land. And, you know, how can it be beneficial to, you know, to the the larger community? So I was drawn to sustainable real estate development, not only because, you know, sustainable is a word that's thrown around a lot, Um, but the sustainability focus in that program at Tulane um, was kind of a mix of, like, environmental sustainability. So Mm -hmm. like uh, green, quote unquote, green practices that we can use in, um, you know, in construction and in real estate development. Mm -hmm. Um, that are going to be better for our our environment. Um, But then also like, um, you know, social justice, you know, sustainability Mm -hmm. as well. So with real estate development um, in our capitalist, uh, you know, system, there's this term that's thrown around a lot called highest and best use. And Mm -hmm. so highest and best use in capitalism usually means how can I make the most money? How can I draw the most profit out of this piece of land? But when you look at it from you know a social justice sustainability lens, you're also looking at well, what's best you know for yeah. for our people, for the people who are here, um, mm-hmm. you're know, going to get have the most uh, social value. And so I was drawn to that you know as well. And so through that program, we learned a lot. Um, you know, there were there were instructors who were um, you know made made sure that we were having conversations about redlining mm-hmm. and what that did to, um, you know, various communities. Um, and why, you know, kind of why our landscape um, looks the way it looks now in terms of where people, um, you know, where people can live, why um, not necess- not, not even why communities are still segregated. Mm-hmm. Um, but also why? Um, why? Poor neighborhoods in urban areas are generally black.
2: Mm-hmm. And why,
0: you know, just like sort of why things look the way they look, and uh, you know why why things are the way they are. What so, sort of the overlay of racism yeah. or real estate development, racism which pervades everything, you know, in in yeah. our lives and in, in our system. But how would would impact what what that looked like, and what mm-hmm. that looked like in you know in real estate development. So I think that was really valuable and it sort of helped me to kind of hone in on what I really was interested in, which was, um, you know, collective investment, ways that people in communities could invest collectively in order to create the types of developments that we want in our, you know, in our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that that continues to be uh, an interest of mine and something that I'm building um, towards as I gain more. now that I'm working in real estate development, I work for an affordable housing uh, development now, um, a nonprofit. And um, so as I gain my skills, I'm looking at, okay, how can I, ultimately, how do I use that to create this, you know, a, a collective investment model
1: here? Yeah. Yeah, that um conversation around like putting a grocery store is so annoying because it's like it's so expensive to be poor, first of all. So yeah. to travel to all these other places yeah. to get it. And then you're probably getting your food from a corner store, which is marked up. So you're yeah. spending money anyway, and it's a necessity, like and so I was in the um New Orleans uh, economic development ambassador program mm-hmm. and I remember like, Cohort, there's this dude, and he he's like one of the people who is like only Hispanic in name, like like not in culture at all. Like he might he was a white dude, but anyway. Um, so they were talking about um how hard it was to get the Rouses. Like there's like a different kind of Rouses somewhere in New Orleans. Um, it's not their usual model, but it was like a smaller version. Mm, okay. And um, he was like playing devil's advocate and I'm like, how are you playing devil's advocate on a grocery store? Like that is not. I'm like, people need food. What are you doing?
2: So yeah, but I
0: mean so many of the the decisions that are made in a capitalist structure are not about what people like what people's social needs are. Need is defined by what people are willing to pay for. You know, so if you don't have a lot of money, your needs aren't really you know considered. Yeah much and then also then there's this perception too like also um you know racist ideas about people you know always seep in to all decisions that are made as well so when operators and developers are looking at putting a grocery store in a neighborhood like the lower night like the lower Ninth floor which is largely black and poor Mm -hmm. working class um you know they make assumptions that you know the store is going to get there's going to be theft Mm -hmm. or maybe they can't afford that or um you know people are not going to um you know to take care of of the property and how do they you know they mitigate that or people don't have enough money to buy um you know certain products and right so those racist ideas also are part of the you know the equation as well
1: yeah um so no matter what you're doing, you're fulfilling your first name, which means to build in Swahili. Um, for from 2D to from 3D modeling to building communities. What are the various ways um you express your need to build in your life? Like, what ways do you express your
0: creativity? Yeah, and also now I'm actually I'm a carpenter. Like, nice. <laughs> I, I do I do actual building as well. So like I'm working on um, a shifaro for my daughter. A shifaro mm-hmm. is like a um like a wardrobe. that's on one mm-hmm. side, where you can hang clothes, and the other side has drawers. Yep. Um. So I've been I've been working on that for a while because I I kind of had a, a a break where I couldn't um I couldn't work on it, and now I'm back. You know, trying to like finish it up so she could have you know extra space for her clothes. Mm-hmm. But I really started to get into that. I really like working with my hands. Hmm. I, like, I like building things. Yeah. They they named me right. You know. <laughs> I, I like just you know, being able to um to be self sufficient and to be able to make things um you know out of uh you know out of out of other stuff I guess. Yeah. You know, I like I like um I always say um power tools are a girl's best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like keep your diamonds, you know, give me a, a saw, you know, give me a drill. I I'll do something with that, you know. Yeah. Um I really, uh, I really like you know what they allow me to be able to do and to be able to create. Um, Like the desk that you can't see it obviously, but the desk that my computer is on, um, it was really simple, very simple design. But um, you know, I built that. It's like I like to solve problems. So the problem in my living room was that, like, especially when we first, uh, when a pandemic first happened, and we all had to go and work from home, Mm -hmm. our workspace at home was really not conducive to like working for a long time yeah i a computer on this like tiny little desk that's fine for like checking your email every once in a while or like Mm -hmm. watching a movie but it wasn't conducive to like sitting down and you know i didn't have enough space so um i decided to build something you know that was gonna work for me you know and for my daughter and um so i was really proud you know that i was able to do that and i so i built um, something I built a um a desk that sort of fits into like this built-in bookshelf that I already have. Nice. It has a sliding keyboard tray, you know, underneath it. Nice. So mm-hmm. that you can like, push it away when you're not using it and then mm-hmm. you pull it out when you need it. So um I like that. You know, I like problem solving. I like mm-hmm. um, you know figuring out how to um you know how to make make things um that you know that fit my needs, but I'm not a stuff person. I don't like to have like a lot of, not a materialist. I don't like to have like a lot of things. Yeah. Behind, though, it doesn't really look like that. Here, <laughs> yeah. but I'm trying to get rid of stuff. But um, yeah, you know, I I I really um, I like to have you know to be able to have what I need and like to be able to make things that work for what my needs are.
1: Yeah, I always said if I had like multiple lifetimes, I'd have become an electrician and a carpenter or like a cabinet maker. Yeah, um, which you know I'll do that one day, possibly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's only so many hours in a day, but you know, hopefully, you have a long life and you can you know, do a number of those things.
1: Yeah. Um. Okay. So, in your short career as an animation, did you ever? uh experience anything for from being a black woman, black woman or any other isms like
0: yeah, I mean I think I think what I experienced was more like isolation mm-hmm. than anything. You know, I didn't I didn't experience any that I was aware of any sort of like um I guess stereotypical like direct, you know, racist mm-hmm. thing. Nobody put a noose on my desk or you know like crazy, right. crazy yeah. stuff like that i was very you know fortunate to be in a really welcoming um mm-hmm. you know environment people i, I like those you know creative spaces where you know people you could wear whatever you wanted to wear to mm-hmm. work um as long as you got the job done that's yeah. really what mattered you know nobody was keeping tabs on when you came in and when you left and you know any of that it was just like getting getting your work done you know my coworkers' cubicles were filled with like toys and yeah. I had a co-worker who would, who would um, like come to work, he was, he was like, he probably would, he probably would describe himself differently, but I'm just going to say this for, because I think it's a word that everybody is familiar with, so he was like goth, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but also like he was kind of a, like obsessed with the undead and like all of that, so he would come to work like dressed like a zombie sometimes, <laughs> you know. It was like that type of environment, but he was super into bird watching. So he was like, you know, it was just like these interesting people. Like I went to one of my coworkers was a b boy who was like really into like break dancing. He taught a break dancing class like at work. Nice. And There was a time that I had. Um, I used to wear my hair really short, like um, like a buzz cut almost. Mm-hmm. And he, like um, he would shave like designs into the side of my head at work. so inappropriate but we didn't know you know i that's the only type of environment i had ever worked in so i didn't it did nothing seemed wrong with it to me you know right it was like so that's the type of stuff that we would do and i so i thought that was great um so but just in terms of like i was the only black woman um Mm -hmm. in my certainly in my department and i'm trying to think I think when we were talking earlier, it was like on the, on the creative side of the company. Mm-hmm. I think like, I don't want no anybody to watch this and be like, no, no, I wasn't, I was there, I was there. I don't remember, it was so long ago, but I feel, I feel like I remember I was the only black woman in on the creative, in any of the creative departments. Mm-hmm. Most of the black people, I might've been the only black, Danny is black, Danny's mm-hmm. mother is black. So he was, he was there. But I don't think there were any other... There might have been a couple of Black folks in in animation. Let me not... That's (laughs) the wrong thing. Most of the Black people worked in, like, um, you know, the administrative department, like accounting, or they might have worked in IT, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or or stuff like that. So I think it it was kind of isolating, you know, in in that respect. And... um, but uh you know, I wish they were I, I I wanted I didn't want to be the only one mm-hmm. you know? I wanted to have other uh you know other black women, other black people you know in 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 our department yeah um but yeah, so that that was my experience and I, and I think that probably is one reason why maybe maybe it was easier for mm-hmm. me to leave when I was ready, you mm-hmm. know um. Not to say that I didn't, you know, form friendships. You know, right. things think like that, um, though, I, I honestly, I do have, I have some regrets about not forming closer friendships with the people that I worked with, mm-hmm. um, but I kind of was like, I'm with y'all all day. Like, I don't want to <laughs> also be with you after work, you know, <laughs> right. so, but I probably, I probably should have, because they were really good people, Yeah. That was, that was really interesting people too, but I had this whole other life, like this whole other life in Brooklyn. Yeah, it was not related at all, you know, to mm-hmm. what I was doing in, uh, you know, at Blue Sky. So right. for me, I think I I needed to have that um, balance, and that life was all that was black. That was my, mm-hmm. that was my community.
1: So, do you ever have any desires to get back to three D?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting how, like, you know, it's like when I'm done, I'm done. You, you know. know. Like, I, I don't, the, I think really the only regrets I have about leaving is um, the way that I left people. You know, mm-hmm. so um, I, I keep in touch with some of my former co workers via social media, mm-hmm. um, but I don't really maintain, um, you know, strong like connections with people. And I, I definitely regret that because, mm-hmm. again, a lot of good people, including Danny. Like, I will never forget Danny, Danny mm-hmm. Williams just a great person um yeah. and every time we every time we talk you know he always like expresses appreciation for me i always express appreciation for him it's like this kind of mutual like mm-hmm. admiration that you know i just have high high respect for him um but i really wish you know i i could have done better just with you know keeping in touch um you know with people yeah um, but i don't i don't really miss the work You know, I do miss the environment, you know,
2: Mm.
0: like being surrounded by so many creative people. I mean, these were people, I think I definitely took it for granted. These were like the best of Mm -hmm. the industry. You know, I was surrounded by really, really talented people who loved what they did. Um, And I didn't realize that that was unique. You know, I didn't realize that that was a a special thing.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, I liked um, that we got free DVDs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, because Blue Sky was in the academy, you know, so we would yeah. get like, you know, academy screeners. And mm-hmm. so like perks like that, you know, and like the company parties that they would, you know, throw, those were fun and, you know, I miss kind of that. But yeah. then like sitting at a computer for 10 hours, you know, pushing and pulling points, I, you know, I could do without that. I don't need, I don't need, you know, to do yeah. that. I realized that when I was working there, that was another reason why it was easy for me to leave, Mm-hmm. I realized that that wasn't my passion because mm-hmm. a lot of my coworkers would leave work and go home and work on their own projects. And I, I felt like the last thing I wanted to do when I went home was to get back on the computer mm-hmm. and do more of this stuff, you know. So I was able to, um, I could, I could I can be, and I especially more when I was younger, I could be very critical of myself, you know, and very kind of like, um. um I had this idea in my mind that I was a high achiever, Mm -hmm. you know, and and so I was successful and whatever I did, I did, I was the best. That was the perception I had of myself in my head. And I just had to come to a point with this career where I was like, that's not going to be it for Mm -hmm. me. I don't want to go the extra mile to, um, you know, to be the best Mm -hmm. area. So, um, you know, I kind of had to come to grips with that and let it go. Yeah. And it you know, was, I think, presented an opportunity for me mm-hmm. to um, really, um, you know, to kind of like cut that off and move on to something else.
1: Yeah. So my last question is, if, someone's, if someone was producing a documentary about you, what things would you want them to highlight um, in your life outside of your, is you, the question is usually outside of your work in animation, but yeah, most of your life is outside of animation, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so, um, but what, what, you want highlighted it in a documentary about oh, yourself You were
0: going to ask a question like that, I have to think about that, um, you know what, so when I was growing up, I always wanted, like, I was always drawn to Life stories that were varied, you mm-hmm. know, like I never wanted to be a person who worked or at the same place for at like for all my life mm-hmm. or even worked in the same industry all my life. Mm-hmm. I remember like I was always interested um and attracted to people who did a variety of things. You know, I feel like I, we only have one life, you know, why yeah. just do one thing, mm-hmm. stay in one place, you know. So, I think maybe that's what I would want. The focus to be. I want maybe the theme is she really tried, you know, like <laughs> she tried out different things in life, you know, she tried to make an impact mm-hmm.
1: in different ways, you know. And I then think, at the end of your documentary it could be, and she
0: succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd like to think I succeeded in some things, maybe, but mostly <laughs> I tried, you know. I think, um, you know, with Blue Sky, Red Clay, I'm really proud of the work that I did with Red Clay. Mm-hmm. Um, in New York, uh, Backyard Gardeners Network down here, and then you know, shifting to real estate development, and working in affordable housing, and just really like trying on new things and yeah. seeing you know where I can go and um, you know how I can make an impact. I think that's something that's always been important to me, like just wanting to make an impact, wanting yeah. to make life better. Mm-hmm. Particularly for black people before, you know, for our for people mm-hmm. for human beings, you know, in general. Yeah. Yeah. So where can people follow you on social media? So um my personal Instagram is Jenga Builds. Is it I haven't <laughs> been I haven't been on um is it Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how you communicate with me. I took like a social media break, you know, uh-huh. so I haven't been on since I had Car accident, you know. Mm-hmm. I haven't really been on, so um, I think I'm pretty sure it's yeah. Jenga bills. And I I post there occasionally, but um, you know, not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my posts are around like gardening, you know, things that I'm growing or what I'm building, you know, what I'm working on, um, or you know, just different random things like that. So, and then also my Backyard Gardeners Network is at BGN Nola. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting, again, you know, just kind of I post occasionally there. Um, I'm a child of the 80s, so I don't really, you know, it's like social media seems like an extra job to me. Yeah, in. it is, particularly so, Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not even on Twitter. That's, that's too <laughs> much. Instagram, I have, I technically have a Facebook page, but I don't think I posted on that in like a couple of years. So, you know. But yeah, that's where people can um can find me and uh yeah, I think I'm a pretty open and welcoming person. <laughs> so they can feel free to reach out to me as well.
1: Well, Jenga, thank you for coming on this platform and telling your story. I really
0: appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. This was a fun conversation and I hope uh that it you know maybe help some people who are thinking about getting into the industry and yeah thank you so
1: to everyone out there i want you to like so i know it's real comment and tell me how you feel subscribe to seal the deal and sign up for post notifications to show your zeal and i'll see you in the next video